Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance right here in New Zealand. And on this podcast, I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. You will hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and points of view on personal finance here in New Zealand. And personal finance is indeed deeply personal. So with that being said, often when I speak with people, their one regret is that they didn't start saving and investing earlier. Well, today you are going to hear about Nat, and she did manage to start investing early in life, and the proof sure is in the pudding, when at the age of just 36, she has an investment portfolio that she can be proud of. But before I tell you all about Nat, I just have a quick message from today's sponsor. I'm excited to have Hatch supporting today's episode because, for the first time, they make investing in the world's most recognisable companies and funds easy and affordable. Hatch is Kiwi Wealth's digital investing platform. As part of the Kiwi Group family, they are 100% Kiwi owned and are committed to helping Kiwis live their best lives. Hatch can help you build your own personalised investment portfolios packed with the things you care about. It's smart to invest regularly for your future and now is as good a time as any to start. But knowledge is power, so kick off your investing journey with the Hatch Getting Started course. The Getting Started course can give you the confidence to invest when you're ready. Daily emails will teach you everything you need to know to buy your first shares on the US share markets and best of all, it's free. To learn more, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver start investing. Now, Nat was raised all over the place, courtesy of having a dad who was in the Air Force, and his career took him and his family of five, including Nat's mum and her two sisters. It took them to Wellington, to Christchurch, Auckland, Singapore, Alabama, London, and other places in between, and then all the way back to New Zealand again. She lived in rural places and then in cities, and change and variety were a constant theme. Her parents did a count-up recently and they'd worked out that they had lived in 25 different houses over 30 years. At one point she attended four different schools in four years, so hers was a life of change and being repeatedly forced out of her comfort zone. She has nothing but wonderful things to say about her parents who embraced this travelling lifestyle and the opportunity to see the world and at every step along the way they made sure their three girls were catered for, loved and happy. She says that she could not have wanted for a better childhood and considers herself extremely privileged to say as much. She said of her mum that she was very entrepreneurial and in today's speak, her volunteering roles, her hobbies and interests would have been called side hustles, but constant travel and support of Nat's father meant it was impossible to hold down a job, so she instead spent her life as a key support to her husband, Nat's dad, a role that was very much celebrated and recognised when he left the military and retired. In this case, the expression, behind every great man is a great woman, is true, although probably more true is that she stood beside him and not behind, and they worked as a really good team. In a different era, it may have played out differently, but there were no regrets about their adventurous lifestyle. She said her parents were wonderful role models, and Nat said that her mum, who must have been forever setting up a new household somewhere in the world, was always a saver, always stuck to a shopping list, never paid full price for anything, and always looked for bargains. She said that they were not wealthy, but no one around them was, and she credits her mum and dad for creating such a strong team and a strong family. I asked her what was one piece of advice that her parents taught her about money that she remembers. Well, they told Nat to never take anything for granted, and she has carried this through to her life today, 
always appreciating what she has and getting a thrill and a huge sense of excitement out of the small things in life, like the luxury of going out for lunch or having her nails done, something her mum never would have done. She said that today people have such a high level of expectation around what they feel they should have, but Nat is conscious of her spending and does not spend money without thinking. She said that everything she does feels more like a privilege than a right. And that leads kind of nicely onto what she considers to be her splurge, the thing that she knows uh, could be considered as a waste or a luxury, but she does it anyway. And for her, it's having a day spa about two to three times a year where she books in for about three hours. And I like this bit. So she doesn't have that, oh no, it's going to end in an hour feeling. Plus she absolutely loves to travel with friends and family and will always set money aside to make sure she can do this as often as possible. From a young age, her parents always encouraged Nat to work, even in a small way. For example, Nat loved dogs, but they could never have one because they moved around just too much. So when a neighbour offered to pay her to walk theirs, she grabbed the chance, even at the age of just seven. Her and her sisters would often set up little businesses, such as making chocolates at Easter and selling them around the neighbourhood. But that was only the half of it. They would make up a budget. They'd price up the ingredients, they'd head out shopping to buy the ingredients and the moulds, they'd then make the chocolates, wrap them beautifully, then once sold, they would pay back the costs involved and then reinvest the profits into more chocolate making and they just kept it going. She did get pocket money too, but this was not just a handout, she was expected to work for her money. As she got a little older and when they lived in London, she got a job in a cafe but pretty quickly realised the pay was poor. So in her teenage years, she moved into the nannying business with her sister and pretty quickly a bunch of parents knew these two could be relied on. So she spent her time after school, at nights and on the weekends looking after a variety of kids and it sounded like a really busy and profitable time. So the entrepreneurial spirit started pretty young for Nat and she recalls always learning about money, about budgeting and about how business works from both of her parents and from the experiences that she was having. I asked what her parents advised her to do with the money that she was making. Well back then her money was just put into a bank account, there were not the investment options that there are today, but there was a better banking interest rate and they more or less let her decide whether she wanted to save it or spend it. And they told her that you can just do you. They really trusted her to make good decisions and she seemed to me a kid who must have had an innate sense of saving. She claimed otherwise and said she actually feels that she is more of a spender. Her mum, for example, would give her $50 for a train pass to get to school for the month and say, this will cover a train ride every day. But if you choose to walk to school instead, then you can just keep the money. You do you and you decide for yourself. And with clothes, her parents would buy her the necessities and anything else she wanted to have. She had to pay for herself. Her mum did tell her one thing that I think is incredibly important, though. She said something along the lines of, If you save 10% of your wage from your very first job and for every single paycheck from there on in, you will never have to worry about money. Nat does not think she quite stuck to this, but she certainly thinks it's really sound advice and still so relevant to you and I today. So she said that from the start, from watching her parents spend money thoughtfully, she just had good money habits ingrained into her. Her own parents purchased property, so Nat learned how that worked, and they had some share market investments, which Nat was aware of but knew little about. And she said that by the time she left home, she'd saved up money for university, was helped a little by her parents to get through her study, and by the time she came out, she was actually debt-free. 
So this is where she said that the privilege comes in. Being blessed with a good education and money meant that she and her sisters didn't have to go through the getting out of debt part of life that so many have to face. They had learned a work ethic and how to make money and also how to plan long term, which meant they only had to learn how and where to invest it. She said she finished school and started university with some money in the bank, not a huge amount, but she had saved a portion of income she received while at school. This combined with a little bit of help from her parents meant she finished debt-free, but it was by no means an easy ride, and she refers to these uni years and the couple of years that followed as her poor years. She worked throughout university, always working two or more jobs at a time to pay her way through and cover her expenses that she kept to a bare, bare minimum. And while she had money to pay for rent, for food, for petrol, for her scooter, she had nothing left over. She said she had worked out early on that coming out of university debt-free would give her an advantage straight away. There was no eating or drinking out and these cash-strapped times continued for a few years after university as she slowly ramped up her career. She said it was a scary and uncertain time because no paycheck was ever guaranteed. She said of her university study that she had a real scattergun approach and studied a bit of everything, ending up with a barely used commerce degree. Her advice to you and I is that if you don't have a plan for uni, then don't go. She didn't enjoy her time there and feels that although she did come out with a degree and no debt, it was a waste of money and she wonders how much further along she would be if she had used that money to start a business instead. She said she is a fan of the apprenticeship scheme or taking a gap year or working while you work out what you might want to do. Today, Nat is 36, living in Wellington, where she works as a contractor for a tech company as their head of product, customer and marketing. She has always worked for herself, never as an employee, and that has really helped her hone her money skills because when she started out and for at least the first five years, her income was tiny and precarious, but given time, it improved. I asked her what keeps her awake at night in regards to money and she referred back to when she was in her early 20s and had set up a business for herself where she had three, sometimes four, employees and paying their salaries was something that she took extremely seriously and that had the ability to keep her up at night. She said she always had the sense that it could fall apart and it's a big responsibility to be in charge of someone else's salary. But today she has discovered that financial freedom and the point of having money is to help you sleep at night. And if you can just devise a plan and stick to it, then sleep comes easily. Now that she has about 15 years of working behind her and is well on her way into her investing journey, she knows that if you can stick to a plan, it will work. And with a net worth today of about 1.7 million, it's safe to say her plan is working. So how did she do it? Like I said, she started her working life owing no money, and that is a huge boost right from the get-go. But it's achievable, and it can be replicated if we save a percentage of every dollar we make from the day we start earning. And if you are a parent listening to this, then this is what you need to be talking to your teenager about. Her very, very first investment was to buy shares in the company Zero. She knew the founder and had heard that there was to be an IPO or an initial price offering where they were looking for investors. She convinced her family to invest as well. And without having a clue really what she was doing, uh, she put in $1,000, which was a huge stretch for her. Because at the same time as doing this, she was saving for a house deposit. At this point, she was about 24. It was about 2009. She was flatting. She was sick of her flatmates and she was paying $200 a week, which was actually quite steep for Wellington at that time. 
She saved her heart out and purchased a one-bedroom apartment in the Wellington CBD for $260,000. Now this was a huge amount for an apartment, especially when she compared it with her sister, who at the same time bought a standalone whole house in Wellington for pretty much the same amount. But she had done the math and realised that even with her mortgage interest rate of 7%, she would be paying the same amount each week that she used to pay in rent, plus she could cover any additional home ownership costs. But she said it was terrifying making this purchase, it felt huge, but she moved into her own apartment, got to style it how she liked, it was across from her gym, downtown and close to bars, and her friends could join her for a drink before heading out for the night. She said she loved living by herself and loved that lifestyle for quite a few years while building up her business and her career along the way. And importantly, she started smashing her mortgage and aggressively paying it down to zero. And she offers that advice to anyone starting out, get aggressive with your mortgage, particularly in those early years. She now owned her apartment outright, but after about three years, she reached a point where she wanted to move on. She tried to sell her apartment, hoping it would appeal to someone just like she was, someone wanting to get on the very first rung of the property ladder. But even though the value at the time had dropped, it just didn't sell. So enter Stage Left, a mortgage broker, a secret to her success, she says, and she would encourage you to find one that you like and that you trust to help you secure a home. So he has coached her well in how to structure her investment in housing, and he talked her into keeping this apartment, which she said she now rents out for fair rent to someone who does not want to buy a home, and she went out to find herself another house, which she now realises was the right decision to make. In about 2013, he helped her secure finance to buy a three-bedroom house, also in Wellington, for which he paid $620,000. She talked with her friends and family about this move and they were extremely supportive in helping her think it through and encouraged her to just take it step by step. All she could see was a huge debt for her as a single woman and she just wanted to smash it. Now this was also in the very early days of the Airbnb phenomenon. So she rented out the other two bedrooms to guests and she got to control who came in and when. But she got over having one bathroom that she constantly had to share with strangers and she got a bit sick of it and stopped after a couple of years. All the while her income was climbing and she paid as much towards her mortgage as she could afford. And during this time, although she was fully in control of this debt repayment, she was to receive a windfall from her parents, which really boosted her debt pay down. Her parents had decided that they wanted to pay it forward and see any future inheritance put to a good use now for their three children. And I'm sure that they could see that Nat had a really good control over her money and was careful with its use and not irresponsible. So therefore, they gifted her $250,000, which she put towards her mortgage. She now, in 2020, also owns this home debt-free, so that's two paid-for properties. Once again, she stressed how important she feels it is, in her words, to smash your mortgage. Going back to around 2010, and as the debt decreased on her home, she started turning her attention to investing in something other than housing. She invested in building up her own contracting business, as that was providing a steady income, and she also found SmartShares ETFs for the very first time. And she just started to dabble, just in a small way, learning as she went and operating, she said, on just blind faith that it was the right path for her. So when I asked her what her greatest financial flop might have been, it took a bit of thinking. She had wins and losses with individual shares when she invested in some companies without paying enough attention. And those zero shares I mentioned, she has very few regrets, but one of them was to sell out of those shares, which she now thinks was a huge shame. But it was also a lesson learned. 
So her main regret was the same as many other people I've spoken with, and that was that she didn't start earlier. But in fairness to her, I don't think the ability was there for a teenager to start investing back then. Not like it is these days with lots of easy to access platforms available with little or no barriers to entry. I went on to ask her who her KiwiSaver was with and how much she had in it, but the answer surprised me because she didn't know much about her fund. She said she's in a Nico Asset Management growth fund, but is unsure of the balance and said she signed up to them because the first year was fee-free and that she should probably take a closer look at it. So how come she knew so little, I wondered? Because she has always worked for herself, she has never received any employer contributions into her fund, but she has consistently put in $1,042 into her fund as a lump sum each year, which ensures she always gets the government contribution of $521. But she said that selling out of zero too soon taught her something, and that is not to follow your investments too closely, because what they need is to be left to have time in the market without any meddling. She won't have access to this KiwiSaver money for many, many years yet, so she is just leaving it alone. And she also firmly believes in dollar cost averaging, and she just pays her set amounts into her investments on a particular date each week or month and pays no attention to the highs and the lows of the market. Now, I spoke to her in early March, just when the share market was starting to get volatile, but nope, she was not swayed and it was just business as usual. Her advice to you and I is to just join KiwiSaver, particularly if you are an employee, but if you're an independent contractor, make sure you pay into your KiwiSaver yourself. No excuses, she said. And because she loves the tech industry, one or two years ago she could see the potential in Tesla, so she started purchasing their stock. She really believes in their vision and the change they have had and will continue to make to the world, so she is pleased to have purchased some of them. And when I asked her the question, if I gave you $10,000 right now, what would you do with it? She said that she would buy more Tesla shares. She looks at things like Tesla and thinks, will I regret it if I don't invest in this? And even though she is sometimes fearful, her fear of missing out is much higher than her fear of loss. She also invests in the Punakaiki Fund, a fund that invests in New Zealand-based tech companies who are growing quickly and are looking for funding from retail investors. It's very high risk with the potential of high returns, but also of large losses, and it fits with Nat's philosophy of supporting up-and-coming companies. She started to learn and investigate the US share market, and that got her excited as she found it more interesting than the New Zealand share market. And now she has sold out of many of her international smart shares funds, but she has retained the Kiwi ones and is investing via Hatch into the American market, into the likes of Berkshire Hathaway, Europe funds and the US 500. If she was going to put some percentages on things, because I made her, uh, she would say that her share portfolio is split 80% into funds, of which she includes her Berkshire Hathaway shares because they are so diversified already. She's got 2% in Punakaiki and the rest is split across a couple of companies such as Tesla and others. And she finds these companies really interesting to follow and the part about investing that really keeps her excited. Very recently, she has taken on one more investment. She has bought a half share in a house with one of her sisters. They've purchased this with 100% finance and each has taken on a $330,000 mortgage. Now, this is a very new investment and she said she broke all the rules by not having any legal agreement signed up. But she said the two of them are extremely close, have always talked money together and there have been multiple opportunities in the past for things to go wrong but they never have, so she is feeling pretty comfortable. 
At any point, Nat could pay this debt off faster. She said that her gut instinct tells her to do this because her debt is independent of her sister. But she said that this time she may hold off as the rent does fully cover the mortgage repayments and the two of them are also setting aside additional money as a buffer to cover any unexpected events. So for the time being, she likes the thought of not having to put any money into it and instead putting that money into her share investments. But it's early days yet and it will be interesting to see how this debt slashing diva goes with having a bit of debt hanging around. With her net worth being about 1.7 million, she estimates that her share investments probably make up 300 to 400,000 of that amount, which is kind of vague, I thought. Well, here's the thing, Nat is not a tracker of things. There are no spreadsheets with everything noted down, but there is still a plan. And when I asked her what were her three main financial habits, the things that she just automatically does, well, she told me the following. When she receives any income from whatever source, she immediately pulls some off the top for paying her taxes. As a self-employed person, this is her responsibility, and she makes sure she always calculates the correct amount so there are no surprises. She then puts enough money aside to pay her business credit card off in full, and she tops up that account for any upcoming expenses. She then splits the remaining money two ways. Firstly, she pays into her investments, and then finally, she pays herself a weekly salary, which amounts to about $54,000 a year. There are no hard and fast numbers on this. She has enough money coming in, well over $100,000 a year from her business, from her rental properties, from her share investments, to implement her strategy of paying your future self first. She learned in her early 20s that the biggest thing with money is the freedom it gives you and the ability it gives you to make a choice over your own life. For others, it might be that they have to stick with a bad job because they need the money it generates. But that can leave them stuck in a bad situation and mean that they, in effect, hand over any financial control to someone else. Well, for her, it's not about being rich. It's about having financial control and she does not want money to limit her choices. So she just makes sure that she has enough money coming in to give her that control. And if she comes up short, well, she'll just work harder for herself and generate more income. Now, this is a powerful position to place yourself in and I really commend her for this. And as for her work ethic, that's a huge part of her success. She works in an industry that she has a really genuine passion for and she refuses to compromise and take shortcuts. So as a result, she knows her worth and what she can charge for her expertise. Because she has never had the security of having an employer paycheck, she has always had to work hard and aim really high. And this is where her group of friends come to the fore again. If any of them are going for a promotion at work or striving to gain new business, they will role play different scenarios with each other. And that way they get to practice and get used to the words that come out of their mouth in a negotiation. So you go in armed with a plan because you have practice for a successful outcome. And I really like that. She was discussing FIRE with the people she works with. And for those who don't know, this means financial independence retire early. And they were trying to work out what's referred to as their FIRE number or how much money they will need to have invested into income producing assets that will generate enough income for them to live off and therefore, in theory, give up their day jobs. It was only because of this that she sat down and figured out where she spends her money and worked out what her net worth was. She had never actually done this before. So she got out four months worth of bank and credit card statements for both her personal and her business expenses. And in a Google sheet, she just noted down into categories where she was spending her money. And from that, she instantly saw a few areas where she was wasting money. So she stopped them. Plus, overall, she realized that she was not much of a shopper. 
She worked out her fire number by calculating that she needs $54,000 to run her life times 25, which gives her a number of $1.35 million. So this means that she needs $1.35 million in assets other than the home she lives in because it does not produce an income. And by her rough maths, she could hit this number and retire in just five short years if she continues on her current path. So that is at about 41 years of age. She said this was actually quite a useful exercise in working out where she spends her money and it made her consider each purchase and realise if she was happy with it or not. But she still does not budget because she divvies up every dollar she spends into those key areas she talked about and she knows that everything is taken care of and she can spend what she pays herself without a thought. And nor does she have an emergency fund. She keeps as little cash in the bank as she can because she pushes so much into investments. She still has a bank account with a revolving credit facility attached, even though it's now in credit. So in a pinch, she knows she could dip into that. But I do get the feeling that a financial emergency is unlikely to occur because she is just so well prepared. So what do they say when something goes wrong? It no longer becomes an emergency, just an inconvenience. I know her family were instrumental in setting her on the right path, but she's been away from her home for almost 20 years now. So who else has influenced and helped her along the way? Her family is still a huge support and they can openly talk money together, but she also has an awesome bunch of friends who she can talk money and career with. She said they started out small, just testing the ice with money questions to each other, and they slowly learned to trust each other and they began to have honest conversations of where they were each at and where they were going to, and they have really all learned together over the years. And this kind of relationship is just music to my ears. We have to start sharing because once you do, you realize that your problems are most likely the same as many others. I know we all like to think of ourselves as entirely unique, but in many areas of life we just are not. They motivate and encourage her to succeed both personally and professionally because they have so much in common. Now time and again during our conversation, Nat talked about how she felt privileged and lucky, and yes, she won the lottery with her parents and with their generous gift to her, But there comes a point where it's down to you and the actions you take. And personally, I think she's gathered up all that good start she was given in life and 10x'd it. She should be rightly proud of her achievement. And unsurprisingly, she pays it forward whenever she can by donating between 2-4% to of her income each year to causes that she values. Plus, although we've never met in person, we have spoken by phone a few times and she has to be one of the most generous women I've spoken with so far as she wants to help others achieve success as well. And part of her talking to me and letting me share her money journey is so she can help others up behind her. So her advice to that 15-year-old just starting out in life would be, if you are earning money as a teenager, don't put it in a bank account. Buy Tesla or even better, buy a broad-based index fund. The position she is in now is because she started earlier than most. So just start and do as much as you can as early as you can. If you don't have the money to invest, whether it be in shares or property, that's no excuse not to learn to invest because if you learn the skills you need, then when the money comes, you can instantly apply them. And as you get older, it's so much harder to undo lifestyle creep. So she said to avoid lifestyle creep in the first place. Now, if you want to buy property, buy a small apartment, just get some skin in the game and get started because it's such a valuable lesson. Now, Nat is not much of a reader of financial blogs. She does not have the time, but uh, she does love a good podcast and she enjoys this one, of course, Uh, also New Zealand Everyday Investor. She's on the money, 
Business Wars, and she also follows a few on YouTube, including Motley Fool and Ellie Vest. Whew. Now, it was my intention to create a shorter podcast this season, because I promised Johnny that I would, but I think I failed miserably again. But I tell you, Nat had so much useful stuff to share that I just couldn't leave any of it out. But I'm almost done, and before I go, I have just another quick word from today's sponsor. Thanks again to Hatch for supporting the Happy Saver. They make investing in the world's most recognisable companies and funds easy and affordable. So to kick off your investing journey, head over to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver start investing. Well, Nat had an interesting childhood, always on the move from town to town and country to country, but stability came from having won the parent lottery with two amazing, loving and supportive parents and two sisters whom she's really close to. They taught her the life skills she was going to need to succeed and succeed she has. She may have been skint getting through uni and her first few years of starting her career, but she did it debt-free and that really catapulted her ahead of most. Things really got moving for her just 13 short years ago with buying an apartment to live in, but she didn't settle. She powered up her career and she hammered her mortgage debt and this led her to her next home and then when she realised she needed to diversify, it led her into the share market. All the while she lived the phrase, a part of all you earn is yours to keep. And she always invested first and paid herself second. And for 13 years, it's been her consistent approach, meaning that she does not have to watch her money like a hawk. She just has to trust in the system she's implemented. And I think she should serve as an inspiration to any single woman or man out there that if you develop a sound strategy and stick with it over the long term, you will succeed. She takes care of her day-to-day needs while setting money aside for her future. And finally, I think it's fitting to finish and leave you with Nat's money elevator pitch, a sentence that would sum up her approach to money, and it's simply, live my best life now and later. Well, (laughs) I thought I was done, but I spoke to Nat early in March 2020, and we all know what happened in late March, right? Who could have guessed that we would be in the midst of a global pandemic? So I rang her back up at the start of April and I asked her how she is doing. Well, nothing much has changed. She has her plan and she is still sticking with it, of course. 80-odd percent of her portfolio is still in index funds. The remaining 20-ish is in individual shares. And she has taken a little sliver of that for some more speculative investments, such as Air New Zealand, Shopify and a cruise line company. She is taking advantage of companies she's interested in anyway, but they are just a lot cheaper to buy at the moment. She said that these are not a gamble as such, but it's as close as she is likely to get to one. Some of her portfolios are still green or still in positive territory because she has been investing for a number of years now and they are still sitting well above what she started out at. So all in all, she is pretty nonchalant and not feeling rattled by this at all. Her thoughts are, who knows if we will have this opportunity to buy so cheaply again. This could be our chance of a lifetime opportunity to buy. What she does want to do is to encourage people to become investors and to get off the sidelines and actually invest because now is a great time to start. But she wants great outcomes for people. She wants them to learn the basics of investing, start today with investments that are the right fit for them, and then they can look back in 10 years' time at how far they've come. And because she's sticking to her plan, this is pretty much her, just looking back at how far she's come and very calmly looking forward to where she's headed. So I just wanted to take the chance to say thanks so much for speaking to me, Nat. It was an awesome chat and all the best in the years ahead. 
So that's all from me this week. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update your podcast app each time I release a new episode. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you would leave me a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share this with your friends. These are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.